This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. The business of running the country changed with the 2008 elections, according to the new book written by Salon Editor-in-Chief David Daly. The move to change the boundaries of several key voting districts helped the Republican Party gain control of Congress. David tells this story in his book. It is, well, I will use the title Rat Bleeped. Uh, The bleeped part is the F word. So I choose myself not to use that on on this show. Uh, and uh, David joins us on the show right now. David, I hope I've done that justice by by phrasing it that way. I think you have. Um, it is one of those things that, you know, if we had called the book um, Let Me Explain Gerrymandering to you, we probably yep. wouldn't be on your show. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. You but, give a book a title like this, and well, you can't necessarily say the title on right, the air. But it is going to draw the attention of a lot of people, that's for sure. Well, I think it is really the—I think that this is the silver bullet that helps explain why our politics have become so extreme and dysfunctional. Uh, the, the term rat bleep is actually, when you go into it, it's one that has quite a historical background uh, in politics. It does. I mean, you can trace it all the way back to uh, a Watergate. Uh, I mean, it was the uh, code word for some of the, the dirty tricks that was being done by the uh, Nixon— uh, folks, and when Woodward and Bernstein were given that uh, term, they were told they could go all the way to the top with that one. Um, it has a history in redistricting as well. Um, the current Republican control of Congress is based on a two-part uh, process, and the first part took place in the early 1990s when Lee Atwater, then the head of the Republican National Committee, and Ben Ginsburg devised a plan to use the Voting Rights Act in the South in order to uh, pack all of the Democrats into majority-minority seats, making those seats much more African-American, much more Democratic, and then taking the rest of the seats for themselves. Um, And that's how the South turned a bright red beginning in the 90s. Um, And when uh, Ginsburg was asked about this, um, in a piece in the New Yorker back in the mid-90s, they asked him if they had a name for what they were up to. He said, no, we didn't, but if we did, mm-hmm. we would have called it Project RF. <laughs> we're, ta- we're talking with uh, David Daly, who's the editor-in-chief of, uh, of Salon. His book, Rat Bleeped, uh, the true story behind the secret plan to steal America's democracy. He joins us on the show right now. In, in terms of, of, of looking at this, the, it, this is a process that I think a lot of people may not understand. Really, it starts at the local level, and the local level affects the state, and the state affects... The national level. I mean, I it, that's exactly right. It is a it is a process. Is so it is. It, it's a long process, and um, essentially, what happens is every ten years, the Constitution mandates a redrawing of all state legislative um, and congressional districts after the census. The census is taken in in, in years that that end in zero. So elections that take place in years ending in zero mean more. They reverberate throughout the course of the next decade. Um, And what's kind of amazing is that gerrymandering has been going on 
for as long as we've had a republic. You can trace it back to you know 1790 and Governor Elbridge Gerry in Massachusetts. It's where it gets its name, and it's been the source of all sorts of political sh- chicanery and incumbent p- protection, or you know, shifting a line to you know try and, and get back at a political enemy mm-hmm. for years. And both sides have done it. What happens in 2010 and in 2011, however, is completely different from any other redistricting in our history, in part because Citizens United unleashes a flood of dark money into the system that allows the Republican Party to devise and execute a brilliant plan and a big a political bargain. They go out and spend $30 million on local races in, in 2010 with the express design of trying to flip state legislative chambers in states where they'd be able to maximize control of redistricting that following year. So in Pennsylvania, in Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, North Carolina, Florida, Texas, New York. They target local races with big national dollars. And then the following year, the technology of mapping has gotten so much better thanks to computers that that this is exact and precise in a way it never has been before. There's so much information about Mm -hmm. us that you can add on to this, this, this program called Maptitude, which is what legislators and strategists use to draw these lines. And you can add on, you know, not only all the census information, all of the, you know, public voting records, but you can go out and buy all the private data sets that are available on us now based on the information that we give up, you know, freely to marketers online every single day. And this wasn't even available in 2000 or 1990 to this extent. So what happens in 2010 is unheard of. It's a, it, it, you know, it's a, it, it, it's a really well thought out and well executed plan, and it's had a far reaching consequences. For for people that don't know exactly what it is, explain dark money to them. Um, essentially, this is political money that is contributed to a political action group, and you can't trace the source of it back. So it's essentially anonymous money, yep. and. And that's what makes it dangerous. The, the the campaign finance reforms of the 1970s after Watergate were designed to at least have transparency so that you would know where the money was coming from. Um, in 2010, the, the, the uh, excuse me, the uh, Supreme Court rules that um, that's unconstitutional. That, yeah, the that, Citizens that, United uh, case. Exactly, in the citizens' case, that that that, um, that corporations can you know spend unlimited amounts, and it does not all have to be um, explained away or, or 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 made clear where that money is coming from. You mentioned uh, obviously in in what happened. Uh, there were several key states, and I think you just ran through pretty much, pretty much all of them. Us being here in Pennsylvania, I, mm-hmm. I, I'll take that example. Uh, you write, yeah. you you write about not only just the state of Pennsylvania, but literally, and and because I have family that live there, I found it interesting. 
little tiny Westmoreland County. I mean, just yeah. kind of to the northeast of Pittsburgh what, what was a, an important area in the state of Pennsylvania. It was. Um, well, if you go back to, to 2010, the Democrats held a really small edge in the state legislature. And when the Republicans who designed this plan called Red Map tried to figure out which districts to target in order to try and flip the legislature that fall, um, you know, one of them was um, a seat belonging to a, a 13-term legislator named David Levdansky, who ran the the, the uh, finance committee in Harrisburg, and he was one of the people who they took down with um, a, a really aggressive a three-week uh, negative ad a barrage, the hundreds of thousands of, do- of dollars at the very end of a campaign that mm-hmm. he just never saw coming. And the Republicans were able to take control of the House in in 2010. They had the, the, the Senate. Uh, Corbett gets elected governor of Pennsylvania. And those are the three prongs of redistricting. But the three people who have a voice in redistricting in North Carolina are the are the legislature, the Senate, and the governor. And if you control all three pieces, you can pretty much do whatever you want with those lines without the other party having any say at all. So the Republicans redraw the lines in Pennsylvania, and the first election that is conducted on those lines is in 2012. Now, 2012 is a big Democratic year. Barack Obama is re-elected president with 332 electoral votes, he he carries the state of Pennsylvania by several hundred thousand votes. A hundred thousand more voters cast their ballots for Democratic House candidates than Republican candidates in the aggregate. And yet the end result of this is that 13 Republicans are elected to Congress and five Democrats. So that means 51% of the vote equates to 28% of the seats. Right in Pennsylvania, we're talking with uh, David Daly, who's the editor uh, in chief of Salon. He's also the author of the book "Rat Bleeped," with the bleep being the F word. Your comments are welcome at eight four four Wharton eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. I'd be interested to to get your opinion on, you know, these moves being made. What was the response or lack of response? Mm-hmm. By the Democratic Party, did did they not see this coming? They didn't see it coming, but it's a catastrophic strategic failure on the part of the Democratic Party. Um, I, I mean, in some ways, this idea was could have been sitting out there for anyone to do. Well, and that's um, and, and that's why I kind of say, okay, so if if we're talking about every ten years when the census comes about, let's play this out. Twenty twenty is going to be not only an election year; it'll be a presidential election year. So it could conceivably be better for the Democrats because they tend to see better turnout in presidential years than they do in off years. However, like you said before, this is a state and a local issue as well as the president as a big level. The Democrats don't simply have to take back Congress in order to change the system. They have to win back legislative districts and legislative chambers across the country. And they have to do this on the maps that the 
Republicans drew. So the system is, is, is locked and knotted up in really complicated ways at a variety of levels, and it's going to be really, really hard for the Democrats to undo this. Was there, in the terms of the process of what happened, was there anything illegal that, that was done in terms of all of these moves at the, at the, at the local level and at the state level? And, and obviously it affected the, the national level. I mean, gerrymandering is not illegal, no. Yeah. Um, I would say this. I would say that whenever courts have gotten a look at these districts, they have been frustrated by them. Um, but it's not that the strategists involved did anything illegal at the national level. Um, however, in North Carolina, there was a case involving involving uh, the the, 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 um, the racial fairness of these lines, and a court mandated that some of them be redrawn in Florida. And this might be the the most interesting case. Um, so in 2010. The voters in Florida passed something called a, a fair district a referendum uh-huh. in, which, in which voters of the state say, we want redistricting taken, taken out of the hands of politicians, and we want it to be a fair and open and transparent uh, process. Um, it did not work that way. Um, the Republicans who were in charge of the state that some of the uh, legislative leaders and some of the uh, top strategists in the state essentially conducted a shadow redistricting process and filtered the maps through citizens in order to get them introduced before the, the legislature. Right. Um, and it, it was essentially um, one of the most scathing legal opinions I have seen on gerrymandering was, yeah. was brought down by a Florida Supreme Court judge in 2014, and he ordered a whole bunch of those districts redrawn. You talk about a couple of kind of key figures that that were involved in this process, and one that probably a lot of people will know in Carl Rove, mm-hmm. uh, but one that a lot of people probably don't know in a guy by the name of Chris Jankowski. Explain his role and how this all kind of came about. Jankowski is one of the most brilliant Republican strategists of his generation, and the fact that he's you know not known um, is 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 amazing um, because he's he, he's he, by coming up with this plan, he essentially gives his party control of Congress for a decade at the bargain basement price of $30 million. You can't even run a losing Senate campaign these days for $30 million, let alone locking in control of the House of Representatives for as long as he did. Um, Jankowski runs something called the Republican State Leadership Committee, along with Ed Gillespie, who folks might... um, remember from his days chairing the Republican National Committee and running for uh, a governor of Virginia, excuse me, um, a senator from Virginia. Um, and he has this eureka moment in 2009, not long after his party has been swept out in 2008, um, 
and he's reading a story in the New York Times on the elections that fall, and it, it looks ahead to uh, 2010, and it mentions it's a redistricting year. And because he works with all these guys on the state level, it occurred to him, well, wait a second. Um, how about if I get some money to people at the state level and try and take these states over? Um, that 2010 is going to probably be a good year for us. Right. Because in off years, in midterms, uh, things essentially swing back the other way, usually. Right. Yep. The, the party in control of the White House usually loses seats the following year, and 2010 ends up being you know, a catastrophic year for, for the Democrats. And, you know. and that was the expectation kind of going into that whole, whole year anyway, correct? They knew they'd have the wind at their back, so they thought, well, if we have some extra money and a strategy here, we can take advantage of and maximize that wind and really have an impact on this for the next decade. And also they thought that if they took over state capitals, they'd be able to to use those as a laboratory for conservative ideas and conservative governing over the course of the next decade, uh, possibly even in, in blue and purple states. So you see the results of this almost immediately in these states like Wisconsin and Michigan, you know, North Carolina, that the Republicans were able to take over in 2010, the legislature shifts sharply to the right, um, and states like Michigan that have otherwise been, you know, a strong union state or, you know, a strong labor state, um, you end up seeing anti-labor legislation uh, coming through. um, uh, Same thing in Wisconsin, where collective bargaining rights got removed from a public teacher unions, or in North Carolina, where, say, the the, um, uh, transgender bathroom bill had just passed, Um, even though, you know, polls show 60% of voters in North Carolina are are opposed to this, the the legislature is so conservative that it almost doesn't matter. Um, So you end up with a, you know, a strong shift to the right, not only in the House of Representatives, but also in in these legislative chambers in state capitals across the country. David Daly joins us. His book is Rat Bleeped. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Uh, I, I mentioned Pennsylvania. Let's go through a, a couple of these states and quickly you know, talk about where the key element was. Uh, let's, let's talk about North Carolina and, and where the key element was in that situation. Boy, North Carolina is an amazing state. I mean, um, you have two key elements there, and one of them is what happened in the 1990s. In the 90s, North Carolina essentially has has 12 congressional delegations. I'm sorry, uh, a delegation of of 12, which tended to be about eight four Democratic. Um, and when when Ginsburg and Atwater pull off their plan to to launch all of these majority minority seats. It immediately turns the other direction. It turns eight four Republican, and the only you see a couple of districts that are represented by African Americans, mm-hmm. 
and you pack all the Democratic votes into those districts, and then Republicans took the rest of the state. Um, in 2010, you see the second piece of this, and there's a guy named Art Pope, who was kind of the uh, Koch brothers of, of North Carolina. Right. And he works essentially with the RSLC, and what they do is they come up with millions of dollars filtered through organizations called like Real Jobs and a couple of other ones, and they very aggressively target local legislators who they think that, that they can knock out a Democrats, replace them with Republicans, and they aggressively redraw not only the the maps of the of the state house and the state senate, but they uh, redraw the congressional maps in such a way that it's now ten three hmm. wow. Republicans are there. Um, and the only thing they had to do in North Carolina was take over the the legislature. The governor even does not have a say in redistricting. So if you control if you control the a legislature, you get to draw the lines one hundred percent. And they brought in a guy named Tom Hofeller, who is perhaps the most genius Republican mapmaker of all. And Hofeller does a, a PowerPoint for legislators in, in which he, he talks about this as if redistricting is a, is, is a training session for master super spies in espionage instead of the folks who are creating the you know, essential building blocks of our democracy. Yeah. And he, you know, gives them advice like, don't fire the redistricting staff until you're 100% everything is done. Don't send any emails to anybody. Don't talk to the press. Don't leave your computer alone for a minute. <laughs> These guys are using redistricting as partisan warfare. And they've got the tools and the technology to pull it off in a way that makes it more substantive and longer lasting than than any other point in time. Uh, David Daly joins us, uh, editor-in-chief of Salon, the author of the book Rat Bleep, the true story behind the secret plan to steal America's democracy. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Just a couple of minutes uh, more with him. Uh, I, I mean, we're in a situation, as you've kind of alluded to, and I, I think a lot of Americans feel that politics in Washington has not done done very much good service for a whole lot of people these days, no matter what side of the aisle you're on. I think you're I, right about that, absolutely. I, I, I guess the, the, the thing is that that the expectation is, unfortunately, that this is not going to change anytime soon. It's not. Um, I mean, and we are the only democracy in the world that allows politicians to draw their own lines and choose their own voters. And yeah. if we want the system to work better... You can't let the folks who we shouldn't be trusting with it have control of the pens, or in this case, the you know really powerful computer programs that allows themselves to essentially insulate themselves from the voters' will. Um, and I don't think we should be trusting the Democratic Party either to sure, yeah. try and find a way to reverse this. I mean, we're going to have to take this back into our own hands. In states where 
There have been referendums on nonpartisan redistricting and trying to get this out of the hands of the politicians. It doesn't matter if it's a blue state or a red state, if it's Florida, if it's Arizona, if it's Ohio, if it's California. It passes, and people want to do this. I think we all understand how broken this system is and that we have to find a way to fix it. And then it's going to come down to us. David, I will leave you with one comment. We had former Senator Bob Kerry on the show uh, about a week or so ago, and you may have heard an interview he did on CNBC a few weeks back, and he basically was talking about the, the presidential election, and I think this kind of plays out for politics in general. He said, you know, whatever happens, the, the election is probably going to come down to who sucks less, and I think that's probably the case with a lot of elections these days. It's really depressing. I don't think it has to be that way. Yep. But, um, we, we have built a system in which cynicism is rewarded and in which it's just a constant race yep. to the bottom. Yep. And these districts, when they become, when districts become as non-competitive as this, and we have very few remaining competitive districts because of the way the lines are drawn, yeah. you end up with the most extreme candidates winning. The only election that matters is the party primary. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.